questions. Okay. Anything else before we kick in? No, mate. I'm just. Yeah. Gonna... Make sure we're on. Actually, I've, I've got to actually do that. Give me a second. It's always annoying when the beeps come through. Hello and welcome to episode 62 of Great Things with Great Tech, the podcast highlighting companies doing great things with great technology. My name's Anthony Spiteri and in this episode, we're talking to a company that is making cloud absurdly easy. Purpose-built for AWS, they produce a cloud-native cloud management platform with a rich and robust feature set to help customers migrate, build, operate and support a thriving AWS ecosystem. That company is Stacks. I'm speaking to Adam Beavis, Managing Director at Stacks. Welcome to the show, Adam. Hi, Anthony. Real pleasure to be here. Excellent. So before we dive into the world again of AWS um, and what Stacks actually does, I just want to give a shout out to the show. So if you love great things with great tech and would like to feature in future episodes, you can click on the link in the show notes or go to gtwgt.com and register your interest. Just as a reminder, all episodes of GTWGT are available on all good podcasting platforms, Google, Apple, Spotify, all hosted and distributed by Spotify, which was anchor.fm, and that'll keep you up to date on all previous shows. As a final reminder, don't forget to go to YouTube, GTWGT podcast, hit like and subscribe and follow, and you'll get all future episodes. So with that out of the way, Adam, let's talk about stacks and maybe firstly, um, introduce yourself um, and then give a little bit of background on Stacks and basically the, the founding of the company. Fantastic. Thank you, Anthony. Yeah. Adam BBC, the, the managing director. And it's interesting the history of Stacks because it was really born out of AWS's, you know, very fantastic consulting companies at the time, which was the Versant Group and, and Tor and James and a couple of the founders there. As they started to do migration after migration after migration with many organizations, they really started to understand the pros and the cons sometimes of when people move to the cloud, understanding cost management initially and then compliance once you're in the cloud. And Stacks was originally a cost and compliance tool that really helped people understand where they were spending the money and just that how compliant the environment was very, very important early on. And, and many of those tools weren't available native in AWS at the time and Stacks then grew from there. So spun out of the Versant group, became a standalone organization and rapidly started to scale up. And what they also started to see is that when organizations move to the cloud, a lot of the foundations that are laid down are repeatable. You know, when you want to design and build foundations in AWS, you want to make sure you get things at the, at the base that are really important. And we consider this in many cases, a landing zone. And once you've got this really base landing zone done with the guardrails around it, how do you want to do account management? That can be quite difficult in AWS, especially if you don't have the skills. So Stacks started to move further into, you know, simplifying the account management as well. And then you go through the build phase, things like networking. Again, networking, very complicated. So Stacks took an opinionated view on best practice on how you should do uh, how you should do networking and then little other components sorry other components started to grow from their identity and access management and then security controls risk management and so today we talk about stacks being a ready to deploy foundation to get going very very quickly into AWS we can lay that down in around 24 hours so people can have a 
an enterprise grade landing zone within 24 hours, but then we give you everything that you need to operate and maintain that AWS environment. One of the big issues, one of the big problems Stacks definitely overcomes is speed to deployment, but also the drift inside an environment. You know, what you build today in AWS, you know, it, it could be out of sync by tomorrow, let alone six months, let alone 12 months. Stacks as a managed service, we focus on maintaining that, and that's what we call Evergreen. So yeah. long answer to the question of a little bit of the history and then as we touch into the product there a bit as yeah. well. Yeah, I think it's interesting though, right? Because I think looking at this, people probably asking, so what actually is it, right? So it's a, like a, it's a cloud environment that's pre-configured with controls for security, networking, connectivity, identity management, access control, all that kind of jazz, which, you know, some people might ask and go, well, doesn't AWS give you that out of the box? So why, why, do you, why are you guys kind of doing this and adding this additional layer? That's a great question. It's a great question because I think everyone believed that for a long time. Oh, God, eight years at AWS, I thought that as well. But getting going in the cloud, it's difficult. It usually involves a 12-week engagement to build the landing zone. And even then, there's a lot of work that needs to be done around that. That can usually cost, you know, for an enterprise, three, $400,000. Wow. And then after 12 months, often they'll have to do that again. Uh, and that's the piece that Stacks really takes away, you know, what we can deploy and 24 hours and then configure over about a week is usually a 12 week build and $300,000 statement of work. So it's all that foundational work that people neglect and sometimes don't think about when you want to move to the cloud, let alone when you want to then start moving enterprise applications or business critical applications into the cloud. Yeah. So that landing zone that you're talking about, um, just maybe explain what, what that is in terms of, you know, like I, I my, my assumption of it is that basically you've got this this location where your your teams your your units um your your it staff can literally sit and start to operate and start to build you know the applications the services that might be required to actually you know, make an application work as you migrate from on-prem into into aws is that effectively what it is and, and i think after that we'll get into yeah. a little bit more about what stacks actually is because i think that's intriguing in itself yeah, and I can probably answer both those questions there because exactly what you said, it's great. You can get into the cloud, you can deploy a VM or a workload or AMS, whatever we want to call it. But, you know, to do that, you want to make sure your security is set up correctly. You know, Amazon talks about having a well-architected framework. You want to be able to make sure you're adhering to all those different pillars. That means your security posture, you're doing that correctly. You want to make sure you're following best practice the way you start to set up accounts following best practice the way you want to do networking and securely setting them up. You want to make sure you're doing all your cost management correctly because, you know, people moving from a traditional data center into cloud, a traditional data center, you've already paid for the cost outside of some of the running costs. If you don't get that configured correctly in the cloud, costs can very quickly yeah. blow out and you want to make sure you've got all your alerting configured around that. Probably the next big one, it's definitely all the security controls and risk management. So how do you set up those guardrails around that so you can allow your developers to move really, really quickly? But if they move outside the well-architected framework or, you know, the benchmarks that CIS put on, on um, to make sure people are operating in the right environment within compliance, you need to make sure all of that's set up as well. And that's what Stacks provides in a really big way. If someone leaves an S3 bucket open, you want to know that. The risk managers want to know that. The business owners want to right. know that. And they want to know it's been closed as well. They want to make sure as they're moving those workloads into the cloud that they're doing so in a secure um, and cost-efficient fashion. 
Yeah. So effectively, Stacks is a, is a stack. I'm guessing that's basically where the where the company name comes from in terms of you know what it is. It's 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 pretty self-explanatory, unless there's some other story along the way as opposed no, to Stacks. No, not really. Pretty basic. Pretty basic. It's pretty basic. It's I, not the active word. Didn't nah, come from the active it works though, right? It works as a short and, st- and snappy name. And actually the website stacks.io, you know, that, that's that's the website as well. I'll link to that in the show notes. But so basically this isn't when it's a managed service as such, but it's not a traditional MSP type managed service that you would see maybe in traditional infrastructure as a service. Because um, this isn't multi-tenant as such, is it? It's basically deployed yeah, once, no. one to, one, one yeah, to one no, or? Multi-tenant environment, and the way you think about that, the stacks sits on the side. It doesn't interrupt you going natively onto the console, but we manage and maintain all the AWS pieces that often drift within an environment. You know, if there's a new rule around the way architected framework, the way an S3 bucket should be managed and kept compliant, we'll make sure that that's changed within the stacks environment so the customer gets those controls we deploy out to one customer it goes out to all our customers as well okay quite- so yeah okay yeah. so it, so in that case it's there's a central is there a central deployment or is there one deployment that you put in per customer which is then managed at a higher per level customer, per customer and then managed centrally by us i get it okay no worries yeah that, that, that makes total sense so it's not like there's a there's a single one-to-many you know platform that, that it, it sits within the customer. individualized yeah cool and yeah. i guess that that adds some value as well because not every customer is um, especially in this world not every customer is equal and in fact most customers will have very very particular sets of tasks so what i'm what i'm guessing is that you guys would deploy you know the base the base stacks it goes in there it does all the best practice that you guys have come up with over the years of experience but then because it's not, you know, central or, or one to many, it gives the opportunity to maybe tailor that a little bit as well at some point, or you know, uh, work with work within. Yeah, we stay within the best practice of the framework, but then people can customize the way they use AWS within the. That's it. That's it. So you mentioned great about it, yeah. it allows us to have such a variety of customers. So from the smaller startups that use stacks because they don't want to spend money to get going through to some of the largest ISVs in the world or large financial institutions that, again, really want to make sure at any one time that their environment is fully compliant, well-managed, you know, cost efficiency is put in there as well, and it's consistently being maintained and updated. One of the things I mentioned earlier around drift is still one of the the diff- most difficult things in cloud. People come in and build an environment, yeah. the contract leaves, the partner leaves, the next person comes in and does it the next way, the next way, and then two or three years down the track or sometimes 12 months, nobody's quite sure what everything looks like. Is it compliant? Isn't it? And that's what causes people to stall putting workloads into the cloud, whereas stacks, the way it's built day one, you can be assured by the time two years out, it's still, you know, maintained within the well-architected framework. And that's all about consistency, right? Which I think it's one of the ironies of the public cloud is that it's a struggle to keep consistency. And without consistency and control, you you have what happens, what you mentioned, right? You have drift, you have cost blowout, um, you have people that don't know what's, you know, what's happening when one person leaves. So to have a, 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 sort of platform there that manages all that for you is worth its weight in gold not only not not for the people really that are you know in, in the now but really it's, it's a future proofing situation isn't it as well so if your company is committed to going in to you know move applications from on-prem to the cloud you, you're going to want to be there for a while but you want to make sure that you know in five years time someone doesn't come back at you and go why did we do this yeah 
Exactly right. Exactly right. So in terms of, you mentioned cost and, you know, bill shock and visibility. And you, you mentioned yourself, like I forgot to mention at the top that you and I have known each other for, for a while in, in the industry, like, you know, over the years in Australia. Um, and you've spent a bit of time at um, traditional MSPs. You've set, spent a bit of time at, you know, AWS. So you've, you've got this rounded knowledge of both sides of the industry. Just starting with, cost and poor visibility how much of a problem is that with the public cloud because i i struggle with this the fact that it is a problem i know why it is but why is it still a problem today yeah definitely i think people misjudge at times how hard it can be i i mean there's two different thoughts of that when you're lifting up a traditional application and you're not going to change anything and drop it in like an sap now, a lot of people still think the best thing you can do is just crank up the biggest CPUs on what you need, drop it in, and if it's running, it's fine, let's leave it, it's going to do that. So people don't go back and start to then tailor down to what the original budgets that they set for them, the apps are in there and they're running and they have cost blowout there as well. I think it's the responsibility and the, the visibility that can also be provided into different application owners and into the business, which has always been quite difficult at times to to go say, okay, this group of users call it marketing, call it the supply chain teams and start to allocate cost out. And that was a big promise for the cloud that people didn't follow through. And that's one area it stacks where we can get quite granular down to allocating costs down to a team, to a person. Jason Blackman at Car Sales is a great customer of ours. And he, yep. you know, the first thing he checks in the morning is the cost and how much of his team's blowing yeah. out. But they are very disciplined the way that they think about it and they put the responsibility in the hands of the developers and that's a very rare case so i think you know if I, I separate those two conversations out it's a discipline to do it and when people went about moving to cloud in a traditional way the way they thought about a traditional data center none of those disciplines and controls were put in for day one tagging of all the different environments didn't work so it's difficult to allocate cost and as you go on six months 12 months it's very hard to pull that back again so and yeah, it's a, yeah. It's, I was going to say, it's a big growing area you'll see now. Sorry, mate. Oh, okay, go. go ahead. Go ahead. I was just saying it's a big area now where you're starting to see a lot of these FinOps organisations develop because it's one thing to have the tools, but then to have someone in and start to talk about the discipline of how a team should manage, um, you know, the the costs within cloud. It's a real, you know, it's a real yeah. big piece of work getting that centre of excellence right. So FinOps, FinOps is an interesting piece, right? And I think, well. I've, I've heard two definitions of FinOps in terms of financial operations with being actual finance and what they're doing in tech. But then your sort of angle of FinOps is really what you just talked about, being able to manage and, and maintain and keep consistent the costs of, you know, a particular environment like this, which traditionally, if I think back to when we started, you mentioned it, you touched on it, when, when it was on-premises, um, if it was actually, you know, all-purpose-built equipment in a data center that you bought, server storage, networking, that was a sunk cost. You might have got finance on it, right? But no one was worried about, you know, an individual yeah. VM coming up because it was all part of, of a bigger allocation. It was all part of that, that tin, right? And then we moved into this, um, you know, infrastructure as a service world where it became a little bit more of we, we, we care about the actual instance or we might care about in the VMware Cloud Director world you know, we might care about an allocation pool or a data center, a virtual DC, which you get a, a bunch of allocation. But effectively, you know, that wasn't being paid as you go for every little cent, every little every little service, right? Every little thing that you do in the public cloud world, like AWS, you're getting charged for. So 
the men, what's happening is the older guys like myself who are, you know, we're, we're trained on that. It's not our world at the moment. It's, it's, a, it's a very hard concept to grasp. And so when those guys act as the leaders to move and shift from on-prem to the cloud, you're probably not ready for it. And that's where Stacks comes into play, right? It is. And it goes back to the original purpose of Stacks was to identify where, in, in many cases, where the VMs might have been and how much that they were costing and why they were costing that much. And then how do you start to pull that cost down by applying at the time reserved instances, which are now savings plans. But you touch on something I was having flashbacks when you were saying that <laughs> around VMware Cloud Director and VMware, where it was an allocated pool of resource that could, would share what was up, what was down. Whereas, as we know, with the modern day public cloud, it's that single instance that you're getting charged for. And, you know, as the new instances come out more and more and more and more often, I look at the new Gravitons from, from Amazon. I mean, they can cut 30, 40% out of costs for people, but there has to be someone there managing that, making those recommendations and planning that almost, well, it's well beyond full-time, you know, it's usually it's yeah. multiple people, large organisations, and that's what spawned that, the birth of FinOps. Many people that have been doing that at um, large organisations are now spinning off companies where they're going to help other enterprises do that now. And I think that's an area that will continue to grow. Yeah, and actually, to be fair, I've had a couple of those companies on the on the show in the last, this year, actually, Kubecost um, last year, um, I had another cast AI. They're all about kind of yep. being being smart in that area, right? Of of trying to work out exactly what's best for the customer. Um, it's funny. I, I, I had a thought there. You know, this is all sort of stuff that maybe Amazon doesn't like because for the longest time, Amazon, to my end, was was always good to milk. You know, those little bits and pieces, and they were almost like they, those guys in the background of Amazon and AWS must have sitting back laughing going, these guys haven't right-sized it. Love this customer. Let's keep them on as, as long as possible, you know? So to a certain extent- I'll have, have to defend them a little bit there. It's funny. One thing within the culture of Amazon that we amazed me, and I'm not sure if it still goes on now, but the teams used to get gold on reducing customer bills, which there you go. coming yeah. from a traditional IT world where, as you said, it's always the opposite. One thing- they were always really good at is being able to do that. But, you know, as the cloud adoption grew and grew, it gets harder and harder to do that across, you know, yeah. many customers. So, and logically, logically, the end goal there is that if you keep the customer happy, they stay. Like, you don't want to keep them blow, blow it out. Like, great. Yeah. It was a great philosophy, yeah. Okay, so just on the security just on the security side before we move into some general conversation about where we're at in, the, in, in, in this time in the industry. So how important is security? Because... Um, and how important is security for stacks? Because I know I've had personal experiences where I've had my very early on in my tinkering with AWS. So it wasn't that early on, I must admit, it's a bit embarrassing. I had my AWS key, you know, secret key and access key basically put out on GitHub and within a couple of seconds, boom, I was, I was basically trolled and uh, I had like a thousand servers spun up across the world and it was all on me. So I know that it's it's a very very tenuous you know area of the business. And apart from having these purpose, almost like the FinOps guys, you have these security ops, SecOps guys. But Stacks is obviously doing a lot of that work as well, and making sure that when customers are deploying through the through the interface through the landing zone, they're doing it in the right secure way, which is super important, right? Spot on, and and that's a thing. And again, I'll steal the shared responsibility model uh, from Amazon. You know, you can only do so much, but you've got to make sure people follow the best practice when they're using it, but it's really good to make sure you're doing that from the start. All the security controls are set up, the way all your accounts are established are best set up, the way your 
reading logs, the way your alerting's working, the way you're then running those alerts across all the different bundles, depending where you are. You know, a good example of that is we've got an APRA bundle, you know, an APRA, all the controls that someone needs to, you know, satisfy to ensure to be APRA compliant. We have bundles that allow organisations to see if they are compliant against right, those yeah. controls. Very important. CIS, we just released last week that um, the PCI, I think, in private beta as well. So, as a as a business owner or a risk manager or anyone in the business, the IT manager, the CIO, to know that from the moment you get going, that you've done everything you possibly can to make sure your environment's set up correctly, securely, uh, and then you've got the right logging, alerting, and monitoring on that just in case something does go wrong. It's a real peace of mind for customers. As I said, that is a you know to get that right in in to be honest with you, it could be twelve months of a team getting to that level, you know, in within an environment and then in quite often up to, you know, a million plus dollars for enterprises. Wow. Yeah. And so that's, so there's, I was, I really haven't, I probably haven't asked the, the question I ask a lot of companies I have on like, what's the why, what's the, what was the problem that, you know, Stacks was trying to solve? And you've basically gone through it right over the last sort of 10 minutes with regards to what you just talked about. But if you were to nail it down and if I was to ask that question, like what, what is, ultimately stacks there for in the value of the customer. And I'd say that to get going quickly and then to ensure that peace of mind that once you're in the cloud, that you're remaining compliant as well and secure and always adhering to best practice like you need to. Things move so quickly yep. and that drift kicks in and people, I'll be honest with you, when people start in the cloud, it's so exciting and you talk to them and then you talk to people that have been on cloud 2.0, cloud 3.0, they really understand the pain and often think, well, if only I knew this as we got going from the start or had something like yep. stacks, ensuring we remain compliant as we got started as yeah. well. Yeah, and there's clearly a market for it because you guys have been quite successful. You've done you've done really well. I think I, I, I saw that in 2021 in the Australian CRN Fast 50, you were like number three, right? So you guys are obviously doing something really well and it's, it's great to see. Um, the one question I've got around, and it relates to what you've just talked about. So if if people move into the cloud and they're so focused on trying to get those little bells and whistles and knobs right, surely that means that they struggle to actually innovate within the cloud, right? Because they might have just got in there, they're lifting and shifting at, at the start, but the end goal is maybe to transform an application to be actually properly cloud native, serverless, whatever it might be. Um, to leverage the actual benefits of you know what AWS has and what the other public clouds has. So how much how much do you see companies struggling to innovate within AWS because of all the complexity that you know you've talked about? I think that, that that's a question to be honest. We get answered a lot, and I my answer is still I don't believe it comes down to the tech. I mean, the, 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 there's no doubt that the innovation people see within the cloud, especially companies that really embrace it and do it properly. It's incredible. I've, I've heard organisations like Woodside that have done amazing things building digital twins. I look at some of the great startups. Well, they're not startups anymore out of Australia called REA or Jason and his team at Car Sales, the work that they've done. Absolutely amazing. Origin Energy, big traditional organisations as well. But it's all about building a culture that allows people to get those ideas out. And one of the things the cloud enabled that I loved in the early days and still goes on today is how quickly they go from idea into prototype, into yeah. innovation. And if you think about that prototype or that experiment, if that experiment 
moves into production, no matter how big, that's innovation. And so you see these organisations that experiment more, two might fail, three move into production, they learn more, and then they start to drive that innovation wheel. And often that comes from within the business. I think a big mistake organisations always made was we need to be innovative, and I'm sure it's going on with things like OpenAI at the moment, we need to be innovative. IT department, go and do it. It's not yep. their responsibility. It's the business's responsibility. So I think that building the culture of innovation is one thing. And then I believe that the platform or a, a cloud platform like AWS allows them to move really quickly. They've got mechanisms. They need a platform. And then the culture, really core components that allow our organization to, to start to innovate quickly. Yeah. And I think that also lends itself to the fact that, you know, when, you, when you're addressing or looking to go to a cloud like AWS, it's, it's, it's a tool set, right? Like it's a tool set of many, many services. I mean, you and I were both at reInvent last year and they just continue to add services, you know, almost, you know, weekly, monthly, whatever it is. So, you know, to be able to leverage all those tool sets freely and openly without um, the hassle of the stuff that Stack solves, is going to allow them to innovate quicker. You're absolutely right. Um, that that comes into this build versus buy. So I, I've heard that quite often of late, would you build versus buy? Just explain what exactly that is for people that might not yeah. know, like me, it's exactly, a, to get it. No, it's a really good concept because you think about everything we spoke about to get going in the cloud, good foundations, accounts, networking, identity, then the management of things. That To bring all that together within AWS, if you're good, you can do it. Be a builder. Absolutely. And that was always the story. That we was drove. a big thing, right? Build, build. It's That's a it. big yeah. thing. And, and people did it, but then it's harder to maintain. And those great people that build it move on and partners move on. And it it's hard to maintain um, compared to buying it, you know, off the shelf. You can, I think people use a Bunnings analogy. You can go into Bunnings and get all the right things like AWS and build it, or you could just actually buy it and it's there. It's already done. And, and that's the difference. One, it's speed and cost savings and doesn't limit things. And what starts to drive that even more are the skills shortages at the moment. And, yes. and everyone talked about it. it's certainly being done to death, but it's a, it's a fact that getting skills out there is very hard. If you're a cutting edge startup or a, a large corporate like a bank that can pay big money for them, fantastic. You're probably always going to get really good people, but there's a lot of organisations that cannot attract that talent and, and at times cannot afford that talent and time to go and build and maintain these environments. And that's where products like Stacks really start to come into play. And we're seeing it also across other areas. If you look at data and analytics, I think yeah. some of the more successful companies that were, you know, really took advantage of cloud architecture and computing. Snowflake's a good example. Databricks is another good example. The two that I thought, yeah. yeah. You can build those environments and there's no doubt people do and they can do it really well. Or you can just go and buy it, you know, already done, you know, with Snowflake or, or Databricks there as well. So they're, you know, they're really good examples of build versus buy. And those patterns are starting to appear more and more, which is great because it's spawning this incredible ecosystem of amazing ISVs that are sitting on top of the, the cloud platform and utilising those beautiful rich services that they all continue to go and develop year after year. Yeah, it's certainly, there is certainly a bit of an explosion of companies that are adding value on top of these public clouds. I had um, a factual from um, the US on a couple of episodes ago, actually, you know, doing doing slightly different things to you guys, 
but still focusing on AWS and trying to enable their customers and their partners to be successful themselves, right? Um, so on that, the marketplace is a very important part of AWS in general, right? So how does, Stacks is obviously available there. So for people that want to get started with it, do they have to engage directly with you guys or can they just go straight away to the marketplace and go bang? No, that's great. I, I think for an organisation like ours, we call it a small local ISV, marketplace is, you know, that, that ability to go global off marketplace, the ability to transact very, very quickly. Um, I shouldn't say bypass procurement because... I think procurement's now aware of marketplace, so you still have to divert to them occasionally. But yeah. a good example of that is trials. You know, one of the way, you know, as we've made a big shift to product-led growth as an organisation, we needed to start allowing customers to do a trial seven days, yeah. 30-day. Now, sometimes the paperwork to do that could be, you know, tricky, difficult. But something like marketplace is very easy to transact the terms and conditions, a click of a button for the customer. You can then deploy stacks. They do the trial. And then you can continue to um, um, transact through marketplace. So it's been for, for areas like that, it takes a while to figure out, I'll be honest with you. But once you get good at leveraging marketplace, you can now do custom deals on marketplace. So it's come a long way over the last few years <clears throat> that has made it much easier for ISVs or software companies to transact on it. Yeah. And you made a really good point around, um, you know, trial. I didn't even think about that. Like it's because it, effectively it's a piece of software, right? So, yeah. you know, yeah. how, how do you get people to kind of buy into it? But if you've got those trials, that's, that's amazing. So I'll link to that in the show notes as well. Um, we've got about 10 minutes left. I wanted to touch on just, you know, where the industry is at. Like you guys, am I right in saying you guys are purely AWS focused? We are, we are. There's no doubt about it. I mean, we've got an amazing relationship with AWS and I know you're not going to release this till Tuesday, but I can say this, but, you know, we're about to sign a, we've just signed a, a very large strategic collaboration agreement, a multi-million dollar, multi-year agreement with AWS, which is very, very exciting. And that's to help co-develop more and more AWS solutions, which is exciting for us. It, it will help us expand into the UK and the US. So, and, you know, many years I am very biased, but, you know, I do love AWS, but there is no doubt multi-cloud is something that, you know, over time I'm sure we'll have to think about. And, again, as a lot of the vendors we've mentioned now, it's very rare where you'll find one ISV that hasn't developed their solution to either manage across all three yeah. or deployed on all three. And that's coming from customer demand. I, I still believe that a mid-size organisation that can get everything they need off one cloud, there's probably no point going to multi-cloud outside of maybe the, you know... I tend to agree. Out. I tend to agree, yeah. Yeah, and then, but larger ones, banks, and that, they'll be driven by regulators. In fact, they already have Absolutely. been driven by regulators. So, yeah, I, I still love single cloud. I think it's very hard to get one right. I think it's been my advice to customers always is be really good at one before you think about two and then actually really think about why you have to go and do two because they might seem the same, but fundamentally there are differences, you know, in the cloud, the way they do networking, the way they think about org structures, things like that. So in the middle of a skill shortage, do you really want to have two teams skilled up where essentially you could run the same thing just in one cloud? So I, I, I stick to that until you yep. get to a certain point where, you know, naturally the larger companies will always start to move towards a multi-cloud. Yeah, there's there's a, I mean, we've, the, the thought of this multi-cloud, you know, sort of seamless transition of applications and resources between different clouds, um, 
it's always been a bit of a fanciful panacea for me. Um, I remember VMware pushing it very hard. I remember being in Sydney at one of their events and it was on the ground. I remember, I'll never forget it. One cloud, I think, is what it, what it was, right? Back then, one I'm cloud. Glad I do remember um, it. You know, triggering the memories there, right? But I think it's been a thing that everyone has talked about for the best part of the last 15 years, now making me feel old as well. Um, <laughs> but I think the rationalization of that is what you just said. I think... It's only going to be a horses for courses scenario for many SM, SMBs, SMEs that are going, even a startup, right? A net new company, they go out and they, they it's driven by the application to a certain extent. So potentially they might have a need to deploy the majority of something on in AWS, but maybe they go out and they need to do something a little bit off, off the beaten track. And then that application might need to be deployed in AWS, but that might be a, a corner case, right? It's not like yeah. they're going to be actually deploying or architecting applications to literally fail over from you know one cloud to the next i don't think we've reached that level of no. desire or sophistication just yet not yet you know there's no doubt the banks are trying to do that and again regulators will force them to do that will it ever be a highly available type move where it would stay up and move on the flight i don't know but there's certainly you know the time to restore things even using tools like you're familiar with vim and some of these it yeah. is possible today to do it and I think that's where people go but will we get to there maybe one day but the need at the moment I still don't see you know a hot transfer of a workload between clouds and there was no. always the myth that it might be a dollar cheaper over here one day and oh yeah I remember that yeah wouldn't that be I remember drawing that on whiteboards for years no. cloud. And, and really I don't think it I don't think networks will ever get to the point where we'll start to be able to just throw applications around across different clouds but I could yeah. be wrong could be wrong, yeah. I mean, Kubernetes and containers does open it to a certain extent because extent, it's obviously abstracted at one level, but you're right. You're still going to think about the networking, the cost. It's just like the idea is great, but the reality of it's a little bit more fanciful. Um, on that, though, where do you see, because you know, IDC and all these kind of people in this hybrid world, there's still quite a bit of workloads that sit on-premises, right? So in your experience, you know, are you seeing customers obviously you are seeing customers move fully into it, right? But are you getting coming across some customers that say, hey, we've still got an on-prem situation. We still need to run on-prem um, workloads, but we are going to start to pull a few things in or maybe we're going to be half and half, 30, 30, 70, whatever it is. How do you deal with that? Like from the stack's point of view? Yeah. Um, I, you know, in many cases, a lot of the easy workloads have gone. You know, there's laggards, you know, there's probably almost a thousand enterprises you know, probably across just even Australia that haven't moved significant workloads yet and they'll come that they'll always be laggards. The thing that we realise now is what's left is hard. A lot of mid-range out there, a lot of mainframe out there. Yeah. A lot of these applications will probably die on-prem and be replaced by yeah. SaaS. And I think that that's what we'll see. I think a lot of people moved early in applications out there and they've got great benefits out of it. Um, and there's other ones now and they've learned a lot enough to say, you know what, we're going to leave them and we're going to absolutely, as one of the R's, retire those apps yeah. and not move them in because they are complicated to go. But there's still a lot to go. You know, even just normal x86 workloads, there is a fair bit to absolutely. go. Yeah. I, I would say a lot of it's a lot more complicated than it was where we were just, you know, everyone was moving things up. Yeah, you know, year absolutely. Year. Hey, just quickly touch on, you mentioned obviously what we're trying to do with Veeam and whatnot, but just mention your partnerships and integrations, maybe in, 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 a, in a minute or so, um, under a minute, because time's getting short. Yeah, so just explain your integrations and how that works at the moment and what you're looking to do there. Yeah, 
One of the big areas we're trying to solve for is if you think about stacks we solve for getting going quickly and take care of a lot of the heavy lifting. You know, when organisations want to get really good at the cloud, often they want to have some really good backup, really good observability as well, and then third-party security tools now that can take time, effort and money to integrate. Great examples, we, we use Datadog, we love Datadog, but it's a big heavy lift to be able to implement that into all your AWS yeah. environments, your accounts, which ones, is it test, is it development, is it tagged, how do we do that? And so if you think about ones like that, how do we make that easy again for organisations? So one of the things we're putting into private preview that will be at Summit on Tuesday is how we're going to make that easier for organisations. And as you know, one of them we're selecting is, is Veeam. So, you know, when organisations choose a backup product and we're using Veeam, I think is the first backup one, how do you pre-build your environment, sorry, deploy it into your environment to make it easier for then your engineers to ensure they can just tag something, click a button, ensure that everything's backed up. And that can be quite difficult to do. And so we stacks because we you know, have the ability to see and, and understand the environment in the way it is, it's much easier for us to get that sort of pre-built for organisations just to be able to turn it on, put in their licensing, configure a few services and away they go. And, and for example, our Datadog one, you know, that took us three months using Stacks and the new um, Connections Hub. You could probably do that in a couple of hours. Wow, so significant change in time yep. and we'll continue to build out and add more SISVs across observability, backup and security, that's awesome. you know, based on customers' requests. So it's quite exciting. It's yeah, really that, that, that's a great, you know, next step for the company, right? In terms of, yeah, making it, making the platform that's already great for compliance, security, costing a lot more powerful and robust, right? In terms of these other additional services, which I think traditionally they probably don't think about so much at the start, but definitely need them after the fact. So to offer that, as part of that landing zone onboarding is huge. So yeah, you guys are doing some great work. And again, like, like you said, we'll, we're releasing this episode um, on the day of AWS Summit. Um, so, you know, this is going to be great. We've got some great um, news around a couple of special bits and pieces there. So Adam, thanks very much for being on the show. Um, just as a final reminder, if you aren't subscribed or, or new to the show and you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast or go to jtwgt.com and register your interest. And with that, I would like to thank Adam and Stax for being on episode 62 of Great Things with Great Things. Pleasure, Anthony. Thank you. Beautiful.